The fourth chapter of the book of Vayikra is about, it's called the Korban Chatat. Verse number one and two. Vayidaber Hashem al Moshe Reimar, Daber b'nei Yisro Reimar. Nefesh ki techata b'shkaga mikol mitzvot Hashem asherot heyasena v'yasar meyachat mehena. So God speaks to Moshe, speak to the people, when a person unwillingly incurs guilt in regard to any of the God's commandments about things not to be done, and does one of them, and then the Torah goes on to give us examples of who did this, who made, who did this sin, who made this error, and the sacrifices that are brought. And the sacrifice typically is called the Korban Chatat. Now what Korban Chatat means is a good question. Typically, we think of it as a sin offering. That is a sacrifice that one brings after one has committed a sin. And of course, the rabbinic uh, tradition goes into very great detail about sacrifices in general, and in particular, about what kind of sins necessitate a korban chatat. Professor Jacob Milgram, in his voluminous work on the book of Ayikra, has argued famously and strenuously that it's a misnomer to call Karban Chatat a sin offering. He argues that Karban Chatat is not a sin offering, and his arguments, he has several arguments. Uh, for one thing, we do encounter a Karban Chatat in situations where there appears to be no sin at all. Uh, the woman who gives birth, after she gives birth, at a certain period of time, she goes to the temple and she brings a sacrifice or sacrifices, birds, one of which is a korban chatat. The Nazarite, upon completing the vow of the Nazarite, brings a set of sacrifices and one of them is the korban chatat. Now it is true that there's great discussion among the commentaries as to why the Nazarite should bring a sin offering having completed the vow of the Nazarite. Chapter 6 of the book of Bamidbar, Numbers chapter 6. Uh, one view, Rashi's famous view is that, citing a Talmudic source, is that there was a sin. The sin was that the person became a Nazir. Becoming a Nazarite, uh, Rashi argues in that commentary, is sinful because a person is uh, constraining oneself, not participating of those things that are permissible. Dayach Masha Asra, Torah, it's sufficient uh, what the Torah has forbidden us, but not more. If God allows it, we should take advantage of it. Of course, in appropriate measure and within reason. So for Rashi, becoming a Nazarite itself is problematic. And Nachmanides, who believes that the Nazarite is the paradigm of holiness, does not accept Rashi's point of view. He argues quite the opposite, that the sin of the Nazarite is stopping being a Nazir. If you can be a Nazir and accept upon yourselves the additional restrictions and become a holy person, the Torah does call the Nazarite holy, then why did you become a Nazarite for 30 days or 60 days, become a Nazarite your whole life? So for the Nachmanides, the sin is stopping. But what is common to Rashi and the Ramban and I give two uh, examples, two different commentaries who give 
radically different uh, solutions to the problem is that both of them see the conclusion of the Nazarite vow is uh, associated with that there's some kind of a sin. Now the truth of the matter is that it's really hard to the simple, most plausible reading is that the Karban Chatat doesn't seem to be a sin offering. It certainly doesn't seem from a reading of the Torah that becoming a Nazarite is a sin. And part of the argument against the Karban Chatat being a sin sacrifice, sin offering, is because we do find examples. The woman who gives birth, uh, there are other impurities as well. Nazarite, and it's hard to imagine that that's a sin offering. Now, what is interesting is that in those cases that I mentioned, the person who brings the offering brings more than one offering. Sometimes there's a sin offering that one brings alone. If one commits a sin, however we understand the sin, uh, but the recognition that I sinned by error, typically it's by mistake. I was unaware. Then I become aware. So when I become aware that I had done something inadvertently, I bring a sin offering. The sin offering is brought alone, but sometimes the sin offering, as I'm calling it, the chatat, comes together with another offering. The examples I gave, the Nazarite does not bring one sacrifice. The Nazarite brings three sacrifices. The woman who gives birth, two sacrifices. So that's something to think about for the future. What is the difference when one brings one sacrifice alone, one brings a combination of sacrifices. Perhaps the chatat functions differently when it's brought with other sacrifices. In any event, Milgram has famously argued that chatat should not be called a sin offering, but rather something different. And what he argues for is that rather than a sin offering, it's an offering which is cleansing or purging. And what it's purging or cleansing is not the person. But what it's purging or cleansing, claims Professor Milgram, is the sanctuary. The sins, inadvertent sins, and especially sins done intentionally, pollute the sanctuary. Pollute the place that represents God's presence within the camp. And the prime example of this, where it certainly is true, that the Torah speaks of cleansing the temple is the service of the Day of Atonement. Seder Avodat Yom HaKippurim, which is chapter 16 in our book, chapter 16 of Leviticus, and there the Torah speaks of V'chiperet Mikdash HaKodesh, V'yatom Moed, V'yatam Izbeach, Yichaper. The Torah speaks of the sacrifice, the blood that is thrown in the various portions of the sanctuary, as cleansing, cleansing, purging the sanctuary itself. So that is certainly the case, that the Yom Kippur service in the Torah speaks about cleansing the temple, and Milgram argues that's what chatat means in general. In general, it means that my sins pollute the environment and especially the sanctuary. Be that as it may, it is certainly possible to argue that whereas it is certainly true that the chatat is polluting in the book of Vayikra, pollutes the temple. But it's also possible to argue, I believe, 
that the chatat in the context of chapter 4 and elsewhere does mean a sin offering. It's an offering one brings after one has committed a sin. Now in chapter 4, what's interesting is that the Torah gives us several examples of people that bring korban chatat. The first of them is the anointed priest, which is in verse number 3. If the anointed priest sins, and the blame falls upon the people. Now that is actually a very interesting idea. Why should the sin of the Kohen Mashiach, the anointed priest, and presumably it refers, moving forward, to the high priest. Why should the sin of the high priest reflect poorly upon the people? And there are different ways to understand that. But one way to understand it is, of course, that the high priest is the representative of the people. If we think of Aaron, the first high priest, he was chosen as high priest specifically because Moshe said, I can't talk the people's language. I can't relate to the people. And God said to Moshe, then take your brother Arian, Aaron. He can speak. He can talk. Uh, Aaron. So the priest, the high priest, is a representative of the people. That's one way to read it. But another way to read it, which is fascinating, is that that we're talking about the priest who is giving a directive. The, one of the roles of the priest in the Torah is lahorot, is to teach. We have several examples of within the Torah where the priest, with the Kohen, is a teacher. So perhaps, Kohen HaMashiach Yechatali Am, he is not simply doing something wrong, but he's doing something wrong because he's made a ruling for himself that he believes something is 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 all right and it turns out that he made a mistake and the reason i mention this that perhaps we can see and the talmud wrestles with this question as to whether the coin moshiach is simply sinning like an individual person but he has a higher status or is his sin a function of mistaken ruling is because the very next section the next part of chapter four deals with what happens if the entire congregation sins? In verse number 13. So how could it be that the whole congregation sinned? And the Talmudic answer is, there was a ruling of the high court. And the people followed the ruling of the high court, which turns out to be a mistaken ruling. In that case, the community brings a sacrifice. So in the simple reading of the Chumash, it doesn't mention the high court, but it does precede it by mentioning the Kohen Mashiach. And it's quite possible that whereas in the plain reading of the Torah, it's the Kohen Mashiach, perhaps, who ruled, and the people mistakenly followed a wrong ruling. And the rabbinic understanding is that in place of the high priest, we have the Beitin. So chapter 4 deals with situations, different people who have committed a inadvertent sin, the high priest, the entire congregation, the chieftain, the nasi, and then about individual people as well. The next chapter will deal with a different aspect of this korban chatat.